Let the madness commence, as we'll be up to our eyeballs in college basketball over the next few days. I'll have my final four and championship predictions as we get ready for tip-off throughout the nation. The NFL free agent frenzy has begun, but the entire football universe wants to know, has to know, not if but when Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the Jets. John Morant, who is seeking counseling at the moment, gets an eight-game suspension for his actions two weeks ago in Denver, but is eligible to return on Monday? Was this really a suspension? Aaron Judge is now Hal Steinbrenner's sidekick, and even when the Mets don't play, they still lose. This podcast will sure be a doozy as I will go in on the aforementioned topics and much more. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The Ides of March is here. It's St. Patty's Day Eve. And today concludes the Sports Dead Zone Part 1 as we know it. And delivering all that this wonderful toy department of life has to offer is none other than yours truly as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Fasten your seatbelts because this is going to be a wild ride today. I am not in a good mood sports-wise. Otherwise, life is great. The days are a little bit longer, as I mentioned a couple days ago. I know it's still a little bit chilly, although it's going to be in the low 50s here in New York City. But, man... I've been chomping at the bit to get to this one, and after the news last night down in Miami in the elimination game between Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, you know that I am going to be flying, and I'm going to save that for the back end, so you're going to have to wait to get my full analysis of Edwin Diaz and this knee or leg injury that he suffered last night while celebrating a victory against the aforementioned Dominican Republic. So get ready, people. It's going to be a wild ride. And for starters, as I mentioned just a second or two ago, the Sports Dead Zone has now come and gone. With the tournament in full bloom today, and I'm sorry to say, the first four I did not get into. I actually forgot, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to those four games, 
the two games on Tuesday and the two games last night. Now, the games last night were pretty much over before they even started. I get that they were both blowout victories, unlike the Tuesday night games where Pitt could have lost to Mississippi State there in the final seconds of that game. And then you had Texas of Corpus Christi also sweat out a win, which they're going to be, let's face it, sacrificial lambs to Alabama today. But for the tournament that's now here, and we can look forward two weeks from today is the start of the baseball season. And as we all know, April, to me, is the best month on the sports calendar. We'll save that for then. But right now, it's all about the tournament with all the other things that I got to get to. But if I do not start here, then why bother doing a talk show here on March 16th? Where, as we all know, come 12 o'clock, all the brackets that have been filled out, the office pools, everything that surrounds this tournament from now until the first Monday of April is going to be at a breakneck, fast-paced, and before you know it, when we reconvene on Monday, you're going to have your Sweet 16. And how I'm going to break down this session, if you heard the podcast on Monday, I got into my sleeper picks, I got into... All of the number ones, all the regions, and I'm not going to rehash all that. I'm pretty much going to cut to the chase. And I get it. People say, come on, Jay Reels, you got to go in on each of these brackets. Who's going to come out? Who do you feel is going to be a team that may make some noise or make some hay? Well, a lot of that I discussed on Monday. So I do not want to repeat myself in that regard. And I'm not trying to be testy. And I get it. People may think, whoa, Jay Reels is really in a bad sports mood today if he's going to come out in that way, shape, form, or fashion, but when it's all said and done, it's all about which teams that I have going to a Final Four, to a national championship, and who's going to win the whole thing. Before I begin, I will say this, and this is not a secret, or certainly not going out on a limb, from how I look at it, I have no one seeds making it to a Final Four. And for those who are going to pick the one seeds to go the safe route, shame on you. This is one year that we can honestly say these four seeds, although very good, and one being a defending champion, I can't see maybe two tops as far as having all four or three of the top seeds in each of these regions making it to a Final Four. I'll be flabbergasted. I could see one making it. Maybe two. I do not see all four. And if you do, then... You must have something cooking in your crystal ball to think that whether it be Houston, Purdue, Alabama, or Kansas. And the reason for that is simply this. With Alabama, I don't think with the cloud that's over them, with Brandon Miller, and now he has armed security guards following him everywhere, and even came out I guess a couple days ago, or maybe even yesterday, where he says that I've been traveling with security all year. Well, not to this extent. And I'm sure you're probably the only person on campus or in any university that is getting shadowed, whether it's 24-7 or just throughout the course from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to sleep. But there's no way that any other team throughout the nation has a security presence the way you do. And I think that's going to engulf them at some point. I think that's going to combust. And we understand that Brandon Miller ended up being first team All-American with Zach Eady and a few of the other guys that threw out. Marcus Sasser, another one down there in Houston. But for this team and with every victory 
that they happen to secure throughout the course of this tournament, the deeper they go, I think it's going to be curtains for them at some point where they're not even going to make it to a Final Four. Houston, the aforementioned Marcus Sasser, his health is going to be critical to the success of how far this team goes over the next two and a half weeks. And we're not going to know, A, how effective he's going to be, and B, how healthy that leg is going to manage over the course of not only just six games, but let's just get past this weekend first. You would think they're going to take care of business against Northern Kentucky. You would think that they'll get to the 8-9 game, whether it's against Iowa or Auburn, and maybe it comes down to a nail-biter, who knows. But if you're a fan of the Cougars, you have to get past these first two games. And then you see where you're at, Sweet 16, Regional Final, etc. But even with Sasser being compromised, I can't see them making it to the Final Four. As far as Kansas, we all know that Bill Self, about to see if he could go back-to-back for the first time since Florida, going back to the mid-2000s. And Bill Self, who has had success, has won a couple of national titles, but you could see whether or not he's going to be able to sustain any type of success here. And we understand he's in a bracket where you're going to have UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, who could be a threat. So it is a little bit challenging, and you can say that for all the brackets, but I don't know if Kansas is going to be that team. I think out of the four, they could be the one that's the last team standing at a Final Four in Houston when it's all said and done. But even then, I'm not 100% sure in my gut to see if they're going to have the legs to get to Houston to make it to a Final Four to see if they can even come close to defending their national championship from last year. And then you have Purdue. I mentioned this on Monday, and not to go deep on this, but it's all going to be on Zach Eady's shoulders. What he's going to be able to do as far as be that big man, to be dominant, to work both ends of the floor, and literally carry his team to a Final Four. And Purdue, as we know, historically, they've been awful in the tournament. They haven't had a lot of success. This is going back three or four decades. And that's how I look at the four number one seeds going in. And as far as the brackets and how I see this coming about, I'll start with the South. I'll go down East, West, and then Midwest. The team I have coming out of the South, I'm picking Baylor. I think Baylor a couple of years ago, making it not only to a Final Four, but winning a national title against Gonzaga. And Baylor, we all know that they're a team that has not really flown under the radar, but we know that they're a team that has pedigree. And they're in a region that has Alabama, as well as Arizona, who I don't fully, in my gut, trust 100%. Virginia, yes, they did win a title a few years ago, but... This isn't the same Virginia team. And some of the other teams below that, I really don't truly trust or believe in. So, going with gut, going with pedigree, and yes, you could argue Virginia with them winning a title, what was it, in 2019? But I still don't think that Baylor, and with them and having to play in a tough conference, as we know in the Big 12, we know they're battle-tested, and we know that they're a team that I think has aspirations to get back to a Final Four. That's why I'm picking them. In the East, I'm looking at Duke. I know I could throw a little bit of the reverse jinx here because I can't stand Duke, but they've had a very good year. 
an ACC title to boot, and I understand that winning a conference championship could be a little bit of a, an omen either way. Whether they start to run the table to go on that deep run, or they could go off the deep end and not make it out of the opening round. Or really over the first couple of games. I would expect Duke to beat Oral Roberts today, but would you be shocked if Oral Roberts happened to pull off an upset? Because as I talked about on Monday, those 5-12s usually come in play when you have those early upsets here in the tournament. But I think John Shire and them getting to a Final Four last year, and for whatever the reason, as I look at this bracket, yes, Marquette also won a Big East title. Yes, you have Kansas State who had done some good things this year. Yes, you have another Blue Blood in Kentucky, but they lost to Vanderbilt early at home this year or just a few weeks ago. And yes, what does that have to do with them today on March 16th moving forward? All right, I understand that, but this isn't a classic or vintage Kentucky team. Same for Duke. It's not as if they have a bunch of All-Americans on their team either, but I trust them more than I trust Kentucky at this point. And Tennessee, although they've had a good year, but they are always a team that spits the bit when it comes tournament time. So that's why I have Duke coming out of this region based on them being very steady this year, having a spectacular ACC tournament, and doing some damage in this bracket to get to a Final Four. Out West, I do see Kansas making it, but I'm not choosing them. The team I have coming out of this region is Gonzaga, and here's the reason why. Gonzaga has had one seeds. Gonzaga has been favorites to go and win a national title. We saw a couple of years ago what happened with Baylor and even last year getting bounced by Arkansas in a regional semifinal. And I would think that this team who has gotten little to no fanfare this year, yes, they're on everybody's radar. Yes, Gonzaga is Gonzaga, but it's not as if Gonzaga has really stuck out this year amongst all the other teams in the country. They've been laying in the weeds. They've been a team that hasn't gotten a ton of pub. And for whatever the reason, and it'll be interesting because if they make it out of this weekend, the same for the UCLA Bruins, they're going to face each other in a regional semifinal next weekend. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I think Gonzaga, and again, this is another gut pick. I just think that Gonzaga, with everything that has happened over the years and a lot of the heartbreak and just bitter, tough losses, I can see them coming up smelling like roses here in this tournament. That's why I have them coming out of the West, whether they do face Kansas down the road, which I could actually see in a regional final, and them cutting down the nets to win the West region. But I just like Gonzaga here. And for everything that I just mentioned. And why not? I get it that you have some stiff competition out in that bracket. With the aforementioned UConn, who I know they've been up and down and sporadic this year, but they certainly have the talent to do so. UCLA, I get it, one of their top players are out, but we know UCLA, they are in for a rock fight no matter who they go up against. And you have the defending champ there too. So... Gonzaga is the one team that I'm looking at here as one coming out of this region. And as far as the Midwest goes, this one I had to think long and hard. It was tough because I did not pick Houston. I actually looked at Xavier because that's a team that could score. But it's weird because I already have two three seeds. And not that it matters what seeds you're going to pick here because remember, 
I have Baylor as a three seed and Gonzaga as a three seed. And I also have Duke as a five coming out of their bracket. So guess what? I'm picking Miami, the Hurricanes, to come out of this region. And before people are either driving off the road or you drop your glass in the middle of sipping whatever it is that you're drinking, whether it's beer, water, etc. But Xavier, I do like. Texas, that's a team I can never trust come tournament time. I already told you about Houston, Indiana, who has an All-American on their team, but I just don't have a good feel about Indiana. A lot of the teams underneath Miami, whether it's Penn State, who maybe can make some noise here, or even a team like Iowa State, who I know they're a boring team, and although they play defense, but they can't really score, I'm not in love with a lot of these teams here. And Miami, I get it. They got bounced early in the ACC tournament just last week. But when I look at symmetry and I look at teams, remember Miami, what was it, how many years ago, made it to a regional final. I did they could take the next step. Granted, it's not the same team. It's not the same players. And I'm just daring to be different here only because, A, a lot of people are going to pick those top teams. They're going to pick the one seeds, two seeds. They're going to go with the safe pick. I like to be different. I don't want to be the guy that's going to pick all one seeds or I have a two facing a one and a one facing a two in this bracket. No. So, not that the seeding matters. A lot of this I'm going based on not only just the eye test, but also gut, whether it's good for certain teams in the tournament or bad in the other way where they've been awful come tournament time. But that's going to be my final four where it's Baylor, Duke, Gonzaga, and Miami. And yes, I'm going out on a limb here. It's going to be a rematch of the championship game two years ago between Baylor and Gonzaga for your national title. And I'm picking Gonzaga to win the 2023 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship for this March Madness. And I understand people are probably going to laugh at that. People are probably going to say, all right, Jay Reels, I can see where you're coming from. Or some are going to be like, okay, whatever you say, Jay Reels. But that's how I have it. And college basketball, again, let me just put the final bow on this before we move on to other things. I follow college basketball more so, I think, than ever this year. But that's not saying much. Because to me, the sport is a shell of its old self. And I've said that several times here on the podcast. And for me to really roll up my sleeves and get crazy to talk about some of these teams, the Drakes of the world and Furman and teams that aren't on anybody's radar, the Utah States, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit here and fake the funk as if I know that Utah State could be a sleeper or could be a team that maybe would shock the world and be a Cinderella to come out of the South. I'm not going to do that. And yes, I understand that a lot of this, I'm basing this on track record and basing this on what I've seen over the course of the last three weeks. It's almost like cramming for a test, a big test at that, the night before, popping as many sleeping pills and drinking 20 gallons of coffee just to stay awake to make sure I retain all this. And no, I did not do that last night, by the way. But that's my point. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say, all right, guys, yes, it's going to be Alabama, 
going up against Marquette, and then I'm going to have Kansas going up against Texas, and that's your Final Four. That's boring. That's okay. People are going to say, wow, Jay Reels, that's what you're going to say? That's what you're going to put out there? All right. I guess I could have got that anywhere else because I'm sure a lot of people are going to go with the safe pick. No, I'm going to be different, but I'm just not going to be crazy. Crazy being that, yeah, I'm picking Utah State to go to a Final Four. Or if VCU has another run like they did on the Shaka Smart many years ago to make it to a Final Four. No, I'm not going to do that. But I gave you my picks. I gave you my national championship and who's going to win. And again, with Gonzaga laying in the weeds, not getting a ton of pub, this will be the year where they come out on top and be the team that finally, after all these years, cuts down the nets and becomes national champions. All right, now as I turn my attention to the hardwood of the pro circuit, not much really to get into unless you're in Houston, break up the Rockets as you try to get as many ping pong balls. And I'm sure with wins over the Celtics and Lakers over the last few days, maybe that irks you a little bit or doesn't tickle your fancy to the point where it's like, what are you doing? Why are you competing? Why are you winning these games? But give it up, the Rockets try to at least show some pride and play spoiler here, especially to the Lakers, and that's a bad loss. And I understand no LeBron, no Anthony Davis, a lot of guys out of the lineup, but still, just like the Celtics the other day, and I get it, even a bad team could beat a good team at home every so often, every now and again. That was still a bad loss for the Celtics on top of that. But the big story here over the last, really, 24 hours is the NBA, quote-unquote, coming down on John Morant, which, let's face it, is an absolute joke. If you're going to retroactively suspend him going back seven games now because they played in Miami last night and lost, and he has one more game that he's going to serve over the next couple of days before he's able to return to the lineup on Monday versus Dallas, why bother? I thought it was going to be eight games starting last night to where he's not going to play until April. But here it is. He's got one more game to serve. And for the NBA to come down on Morant to the point where, all right, he's not going to get paid. But we already know he's a guy that is on the verge of getting a max contract. And I believe he already has one on top of that. So whatever money he lost, yeah, shame on him. That's tough. That's how it is when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement with conduct being detrimental to the team with the whole Instagram live video and the gun at a strip club in Denver. What was that? I don't want to even say it's a slap on the wrist. That was a smooth landing considering that they may have tacked on a few more games. Maybe you want to make it 12 games where he already served seven and then he's got to serve four more or five more on top of that. To me, that was weak sauce by the league. That's not a suspension. And part of it, he's already seek counseling to the point where Morant has even come out in an interview and said that I know what I've got to lose and he has a lot at stake here. And he understands that. Now let's hope it sticks. Let's hope it's not lip service. Let's hope that over the last couple of weeks, he's really taken a look from within, has sought out the help and has been able to start to put the piece together to know that he cannot behave in that way or fashion or react or think that at the young age of 23 that he is impervious to any outside noise or the people that he hangs out with or and I don't even know if that's the case but 
All that has to be taken into account. And let's just hope that he realizes the enormity of what just took place and how it could all be taken away at the drop of a hat. And for the league to just tack on these two games last night and I guess they play on Friday or Saturday or sometime over the next couple of days before he's eligible to return. But that I just couldn't believe. And when I saw it at first, eight games, breaking news, I said, oh, wow, he got eight games on top of what he currently has? No, not the case. So I thought that was a bad job by Silver. I thought it was a bad job by the NBA. I understand that they probably could have appealed it if that was the case where it was tacked on, but I was appalled. I couldn't believe it. So Morant, you would think he's going to come back on Monday against Dallas. And let's just hope that what he said, he means. And that he applies on a day-to-day basis in order for him to get better and do better. And that he could put this behind him. As far as anything else in the association, there really isn't much to dive into. As I mentioned on Monday, they're going to get swallowed up by the college basketball unless something just outlandish happens. And I'm not going to say outlandish from the standpoint of anything crazy on the court, but a team that, let's say, was out of the running for the postseason all of a sudden goes on a run, or if a team starts to collapse and goes the other way, then I could see that being newsworthy. But as we take a look at the standings, everything is pretty much normal. Nothing that's really eye-opening or something to keep your antenna up for. I know the Sixers have played well. We talked about that on Monday. They were winners of five in a row. Now they've won six in a row. I know that Steph Curry scored 50 in a loss as they're hovering there at that six seed trying to avoid the playing tournament altogether as they have a game lead over Minnesota and Dallas, a game and a half over Oklahoma City, and two games over the Lakers who currently have the 10th seed in the Western Conference. And in the East, the bottom part has the Knicks leapfrogging over Brooklyn where the Nets have a two-game lead over the Heat for the seventh seed, or for the sixth seed, excuse me, while Miami has the seventh seed currently. Three games ahead of the Hawks, so they should be in good position at least to get the seventh seed. And then it's a fight between 8, 9, and 10. And you even want to say 11 and 12 when it comes to Chicago and Indiana, who are on the outside looking in at the moment. You could say that. So that's what we have with the NBA as it is right now. Now, as I shift my focus and lace up my skates to talk about what's going on in the National Hockey League, not much has transpired here over the last three days. I know the big news coming out of Carolina is that Andrei Shvetsnikov is going to be out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. And as it is, they're already starving for goals. And he's a guy that's had a very good year and has put up good numbers, 23 goals, 32 assists in 64 games. And even with them, percentage points over the Devils for the top spot there in the Metropolitan Division, you have to wonder what's going to happen here with the Hurricanes as they get into the postseason. We know they've been a very good team this year. We know that they've had a very solid two and a half, maybe even three months after a slow start. And even though they've had guys fall by the wayside and not stick in the lineup to really put themselves even a little bit more than a snail's distance away from the Devils in the division. But this is another key loss, and you have to wonder whether or not this team is going to be built 
for four rounds to make it to a Stanley Cup final or at least get to a conference final where they would match up against the Boston Bruins if it plays out that way. You had Alex Ovechkin out and I know that they've made some noise over the weekend with him and the Capitals still a few points shy of the final spot in the wildcard race for the Eastern Conference. But everything is pretty much, again, just like the NBA, been the same. Nothing else has really stuck out when it comes to teams and separation or even getting a spot or inching closer to the playoffs. As I take a look at the expanded standings here, the wildcard scenario in both conferences are still the same. The Islanders had a big win last night and they lost in LA the night before as they're out west. And this is a little bit of a dangerous trip for the Islanders only because, all right, they lost to the Kings 5-2 there on Tuesday night, a back-to-back as they had to go to Anaheim, and they bounced back nicely, winning 6-3. But anytime you get this late in the season, you go out on a West Coast trip, albeit three games, because now they go up the coast to San Jose. But as you get to the middle of March, and you know that the Finish line, maybe he's not in sight, but you kind of see it on the horizon. And to have to go out west after a long season as it already is and play, I get it. Anaheim's not a good team. The Kings are fighting for a top spot there out in the Pacific Division. And we all know San Jose is another team that is out to sea and they've been far eliminated throughout this 22-23 NHL season. But still... The Islanders with a five-point lead in the wildcard race where the Penguins are just a point ahead of them at 79 points. You would think that they're going to be in good stead. And the same could be said out west where the Jets have a four-point advantage over the Nashville Predators. Now, mind you, the Predators do have three games in hand to Winnipeg. So even though there's a four-point differential... And then you have Calgary, who is behind Nashville at 74 points. Those are the only two teams that are on the outside looking in that are still in the race. But you have to account for Winnipeg already having an advantage, more so for Nashville, because Calgary also has played 68 games. So they don't have any margin for error, unlike Winnipeg, where they had that three-game cushion. But the NHL, as it is right now, we're just trying to get to the finish line. We know what the Bruins have done, as we've said, time after time. We know that there's a little bit of a battle whether Toronto is going to outlast Tampa to get home ice there. It'll be interesting with the Metropolitan because you have the Rangers and the Devils. They could face off in a first-round series as the Rangers are pretty much positioned to be in third place. They're currently, what? Eight points ahead. I said that Pittsburgh was at 79 points. They're actually tied with the Islanders at 78 points. But remember, the Penguins have three games in hand over the Islanders. And in fact, as I look at it, the Islanders have played the most games out of any team in the sport. They've already played 70 games. So they're down to their last dozen games to close out this regular season. But as far as the rest of the league, and in particular the Western Conference, one point separates Dallas and Minnesota where Colorado is four points behind the Wild, and then you have Vegas, three points ahead of the LA Kings, and then five points ahead of Edmonton. And Seattle's just one point behind Edmonton, so they could flip-flop there 
whether it's being entrenched in a 2-3 scenario where they'll have a first round series or in a wild card scenario where they would have to play the two seed. Which, in this case right now, would be the LA Kings. No, excuse me. Would be Vegas. Not LA. Because right now, they would end up playing Edmonton in the first round if the season ended today. So that's what I got with the hockey. These next 15 minutes, fasten your seatbelts because I'm going to be fast and furious with my approach here with the NFL and with baseball. I'm not going to go there with Aaron Rodgers. I'm sticking to my guns. Wake me up when he's a Jet. We know it's the worst kept secret. It's a scenario where the tea leaves and the writing is certainly on the wall as to where he's going to go. And that's not based on what he said on a former NFL player's platform. And we know who he is. I got nothing against the guy, but I'm not going to give him the shine. But let me start here. For Aaron Rodgers to say that before he went into the darkness retreat up in Oregon a couple weeks back, that he was 90% sure that he was going to be retired. 90%? Why not 95? Or why not, why put a percentage point? He could say that, yes, I seriously considered retiring. Does the percentage matter at this point? And when he came out of that, he realized that I want to play and be a part of the New York Jets. All right. I understand Aaron Rodgers a little bit different, which I'm totally 100% fine with. Doing something that is certainly off the grid in what he did, I'm all for it, my guy. And I understand people may say, Jay Reels, really? You want to confine yourself into darkness for four days to kind of see where you're at in life, so on and so forth? That isn't anything that I would do. Maybe I would go off the grid in a cabin in nature, surrounded by trees, fresh air, wildlife, hearing a stream that's in front of my cabin, or being able to light up a bonfire where I could read a book or meditate. That may be more of my lane as opposed to just sitting in darkness for four days, but whatever floats your boat, I'm all for it. But my point being that if you came out of this retreat wanting to play for the Jets and you were 90% retired, I can't say I buy that completely. One more time, if you thought about retiring or you were close to retiring, all right, that I'll get. But putting a percentage point on that, Uh Uh-uh, I'm not buying. Now let's get to the demands. I know he came out and said that, oh, if we could, well, at least this was sources. He did not say this on the platform yesterday that he was interviewed on. But there were sources that came out and said that he had a wish list of players that he would like to have on the team, whether his name was Randall Cobb, whether his name is Mercedes Lewis, whether his name is Alan Lazard, who the Jets actually signed four years, $44 million. So they already appeased Aaron Rodgers, and he refuted that, that he did not put up any type of list or he did not have any demands when it came to personnel and what the Jets should do this offseason. Also on that list was Odell Beckham Jr., who I think would not be a good mix, only because you do have the current Offensive Rookie of the Year in Garrett Wilson. You do have another... Good receiver and Elijah Moore and even Denzel Mims. Guys that you could put in the mix there. You already brought in Lazard. Why are you going to bring in Randall Cobb? I understand he has a connection with Cobb. Maybe it's deeper than football. Okay, fantastic. But it's not as if Randall Cobb's going to light up the world when it comes to the stat sheet. Sorry, I got to call it as I see it. And Lazard, okay. Not a bad wide receiver. 
Maybe he could be a number two, but he's not a guy that is going to all of a sudden be at the top of the fantasy board. And you know I'm not into fantasy when it comes to that. That is one thing that I will not play or not do as long as I'm alive on this earth. But bringing in Lazard, if the Jets did that to appease Rodgers and maybe Rodgers didn't put out that statement or didn't address that with the front office, whether you're Woody Johnson or Joe Douglas, the GM, all right, fine. But now that he's already put out that he wants to play for the Jets and it's up to the Packers as far as the compensation and what they want back, if you're Green Bay, just do it. I know that there may be some cap issues, especially when it comes to dead money, and I'm not too, that's way above my pay grade, that's nothing that I am sophisticated to get into or discuss, but Green Bay, make the deal already, let's just put everybody out of their misery, because the Aaron Rodgers soap opera, the drama, which I do not get into, and I understand I'm talking about it now, only because it's been the hot topic over the last couple of days, but you all know that when it comes to where he's going to go, what about the rumors, so on and so forth, I am not swimming in those waters. One more time, throw the ice-cold bucket of water over my head to say, Jay Reels, here it is, Aaron Rodgers is a New York Jet. That's it. That's all I care about, okay? The Packers even said that they want to move on from this. They were notified or notified Rodgers, that's the case. Pull the plug, make the deal, that's it. And move on. I'm not going to get through every one of these signings, people. I mean, we'll be here for an hour. But I'm going to get to some of the key ones and the more pivotal ones here over the last few days. As far as the trades go, the Giants getting Darren Waller from the Vegas Raiders I thought was a very good trade. But he's going to have to stay healthy. And that's a big but because when speaking of healthy and even bigger, speaking of the Raiders, is they have their quarterback in tow and the one Jimmy Garoppolo, which I think is a very good move, a very shrewd move, where they're going to pay him $34 million guaranteed. Obviously not the exorbitant amount that Derek Carr got in New Orleans. And I understand maybe right now you pick Derek Carr over Jimmy Garoppolo just based on health. But for Garoppolo to reconnect with his former offensive coordinator and the one Josh McDaniels, as good as a move that is, and we know he has savvy, and we know that he makes a couple of good throws, he also makes a couple of bad throws a game, but he knows how to win by his record, what is he, 40-17 and lifetime? But the big if there, he is made out of plastic or glass, he cannot stay healthy and on the field for any significant amount of time as we've seen over the years. If he stays healthy, that is an excellent deal. But based on the back of his, I'm not even going to say his football card, when you look at his medical chart, he's missed a lot of time. So I don't know if he's going to be a guy that, even out in the desert, if you're going to go out and buy the number 10 jersey, if that's one you're going to want to invest in, because who knows, he may be off the field rehabbing more than he's on the field playing. Then you had Stephon Gilmore traded as the Cowboys were able to get him, which makes their secondary super formidable with Trayvon Diggs. And that was a significant upgrade if you're looking to lock down receivers, if you're looking to have a very stout secondary when you look at that division. 
The Eagles with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. All right, now the Giants bringing in Darren Waller. I know he's a tight end, but still, they did what they can to bolster their secondary and see if they could play that good defense that they had pretty much throughout the course of the year. They're keeping Leighton Vander Esch on the team, so that's also a big plus. They release Ezekiel Elliott, which I talked about on my YouTube and social media platforms. Elliott, who was a guy who came in with Dak Prescott, had two off-the-chart years to start off his career, then was marred by the -the off-the-field incidents, the alleged domestic dispute or domestic abuse regarding an ex-girlfriend or maybe a girlfriend going back to college. I forgot the story. Then the injuries mounted, the suspensions, etc. And as of right this moment, he is not the same player that he once was. And with the Cowboys bringing back Tony Pollard, I believe they signed him to an extension. Or if not, I believe they may have franchised him. So he's going to be your running back moving forward. And Elliott had his moments, had his shine early on. Let's see if he could pick up the pieces and resurrect his career elsewhere. Remains to be seen. The Niners have been in... Big play here, whether it's Javon Hargrave, the former Eagle, going to San Francisco, getting a big payday. Even Sam Darnold goes to the Bay, I guess, for insurance because you're not going to know what's going to happen with Trey Lance with his ankle and his health. Same for Brock Purdy with his elbow. So now you're going to have a scenario where Darnold is certainly going to be your backup and whether Lance and or Purdy is going to be your starter, that remains to be seen. The Bears making big deals, bringing in two defensive players in their own right. Tremaine Edmonds from Buffalo, TJ Edwards from Philadelphia. And then you have Baker Mayfield going to Tampa to see what he could do to maybe even get a starting job over Kyle Trask as they move on from the Tom Brady era over the last three years. I don't know. Baker Mayfield, to me, this is, I'm not going to say this is it for him, but let's face it, this is it for him. If he's going to stick in the league, if he's going to make a mark, we know Tampa's going to be awful. We know that they're not going to have any semblance of the team we've seen the last three years. But if Baker Mayfield is going to want to make a name for himself in this league, he's going to have to do it now. I believe it's a one-year deal, $8 million, I believe, with incentives. So it literally is now and never for the former number one overall pick back in 2018. Juju Smith-Schuster goes to New England, three years, $33 million, so they get a piece, they get a weapon, where I think Jacoby Myers, I think he went to Las Vegas off the top of my head, but there's a guy that, Smith-Schuster, who had great years in Pittsburgh early on, then not so good years, suffered some injuries, did win a Super Bowl this past year, but also nursed some injuries as well, not a number one receiver, I don't know how Bill Belichick's going to deploy him, But you would think he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of touches, going to get a lot of targets, and I'm sure a lot of teams are going to focus in on him because it's not as if they have Randy Moss or Wes Welker or Julian Elliman. He's probably going to be their focal point when it comes to the wideout position there up in Foxborough. And then you had this scenario with Lamar Jackson where all these reports coming out where I believe Adam Schefter said that he was guaranteed $200 million and turned it down. And then Lamar Jackson tweeted a meme, one of those eye-popping memes like, oh, really, $200 million? Nope, not this guy. And then Jackson posted on his Twitter that he turned down three $433 million, not the $200 million that was 
reported or floating out there in the universe. So think about this. He got a Max Scherzer type deal and even Justin Verlander, but it was two years. Remember, Scherzer on the Mets got three years. I believe it was $130 million, $43 million when you break it down. So they offered him that, turned it down, was hoping to get somewhere in the vicinity of $200 million, passed that up, and now he's at a point where he's running out of teams. Because the only team that could really probably try to make a push is A, the Jets, if this whole Aaron Rodgers things just goes off the rails and they cannot consummate a deal. There may be a possibility that he goes up the turnpike to Washington to be a part of the commanders. And obviously, I don't know if they're willing to make a trade where they're going to have to give up two number ones, especially with a team that's, what, 30 miles away? And then they're going to have to fork over $200 million guaranteed on top of that. But Jackson has nowhere else to play because we could go through all the teams, all the divisions, and there isn't any other team out there that's looking for a quarterback. And I'm not going to list all the teams. You can figure it and pretty much think about it in your head. The only teams that he has to go for one more time is go back to the Ravens or he's going to sit out like Le'Veon Bell did, and we know how that turned out. He could go to the Commanders or one more time, If the Packers and Jets cannot come to some sort of deal that maybe the Jets feel like, oh, we have to do something, let's trade two number ones because we have good pieces in place and bring in Jackson to be the focal point of the offense and do what he does and let's see if we can replicate what he's done in Baltimore here in New York as a member of the Jets. Because other than that, he's got nowhere else to go. So that soap opera... And how that's going to shake down over the next who knows how long, maybe next month, I'll even take it up to the draft, is going to be fascinating to watch. But it may not be much to watch because there aren't any many teams that could be out there to try to procure services and give up draft picks and plunk down $200 million guaranteed to get Jackson in the first place. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. That's what I have with the football. Now, let me wrap up here and get ready, people, because I'm going to, this is going to be a laugh. So I'm going to have some high comedy here to close out the podcast. And oh, let me say this real quick. Thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to Bud Grant and his family, 95 years of age. I was remiss to not mention that on Monday. Bud Grant, the former Minnesota Viking coach, Four Super Bowls there in the 70s. Had very good teams. Excellent teams. Purple people eaters. We know who they are. Bud Grant, tough guy. Had that steely look. Just a hard-nosed football coach. And the last time I remember seeing him, if you recall, that playoff game against Seattle before they moved into the U.S. Bank Stadium out in the University of Minnesota Stadium where Blair Walsh missed that chip shot of a field goal which would have propelled the... Minnesota Vikings to the next round, and I believe it was 6 degrees with a wind chill minus 15, or maybe it was minus 6 for all I know, and at the coin toss before the start of the game, Bud Grant is going to midfield with nothing but a polo shirt on, and it was bitter cold in Minnesota. That's all you need to know about Bud Grant and how he was, so thoughts, prayers, and condolences one more time go out to the Grant family over the loss of the one-time Minnesota Viking coach. All right, people, now let's get to it. 
Two things on baseball, one more time, two weeks away from the start of the regular season. And despite the rash of injuries during the course of the two and a half, three weeks down in Tampa where the Yankees host and have their spring training, it seems like all is well between the owner, Hal Steinbrenner, and Aaron Judge. And by any means, I am not comparing Hal to his bombastic dad, George. But you know George, somewhere six feet under in this country, is spinning over in his grave 50-fold. Because what I read yesterday about Hal Steinbrenner and the buddy-buddy rub-elbows BFFs that he and the star player Aaron Judge has become is downright laughable. To the point where he even asked about Anthony Volpe, the young prize shortstop who I believe is, if not the top prospect in all of baseball, but one of the top two or three, asking about his progress and his professionalism. So forget about going to Aaron Boone, who manages the kid, or any of the coaches or the scouts or maybe even the GM. He goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to go right to my star player, my current MVP, the guy who I'm paying $40 million a year for nine years, and maybe he's doing that to justify this contract to kind of use him as a consigliere, so to speak, to find out the progress of not only the young players, but maybe other players on the team, on top of discussing renovations to the spring training facility? Renovations. So, you mean to tell me that he's involved with the engineers and the construction team on where to expand the locker room or where to put the weights or how to build out the cafeteria? Seriously? And I quote that he's involved with that. How is he involved? Why is he involved? One more time. Is he picking up the phone or going through a Google search to find out who the contractors are in the Tampa area? Or maybe looking at becoming a part-time foreman to oversee what's going on in the locker room? Or maybe to find out where his parking spot should be? Or maybe hiring a celebrity chef a la Wolfgang Puck to come in to feed the team throughout the course of the five or six weeks that they're down in Tampa? Or, hey, Aaron, we'll expand your locker. Would you like to have a reclining massage chair with a Wi-Fi connected to a PS5 where you'll have a flat screen TV in front of your locker room? Is this what it's come down to? And I get it. People can say, oh, Jay Reels, come on. Are you serious? You're making mountains out of molehills. You're giving him too much power. And I get it. Aaron Judge deserves that power based on what he's done, not only last year, but throughout the course of his Yankee career and him being captain of the team. But this has become almost like an A-Rod scenario with the alleged 24 plus one where I need billboards surrounding Shea Stadium. I need a luxury box or a luxury suite for my family for the 81 games that the Yankees will host throughout the course of the season. And not that this is coming from the player, but this is the owner. And I get it that there's going to be some influence and some power there that maybe you're going to turn to your star player, but not to the point where, yes, he's involved with the facility being renovated and what we do as far as the comfortability for our star player and the rest of the team. One word, stop. And it's not as if the Met offseason is already taking a turn. Jose Quintana is going to have to undergo surgery 
where he's not going to be back until maybe July because of a stress fracture on his rib where they're going to have to do a bone graft on top of all that. But last night, if you just woke up to this news, Met fans, and even when the Mets aren't playing, they still lose. Think about that. Even when the Mets aren't playing, they still get an L. Last night you had Puerto Rico play Dominican Republic in the knockout round, or really the knockout game between those two countries. Well, two territories, I'll say, because Puerto Rico is not a country as we know. It's an island. They're part of the U.S. territory. But Puerto Rico wins 5-2, and that's a major disappointment for the Dominican team because they were the favorites to not only go to the final, but to win. And for them to get knocked out already, I mean, what more can you say? And on top of that, they had this Nicaraguan kid I can't pronounce his last name. I guess it's Duque Aber or Herbert, where he struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers to where he got a contract. Now I don't know what team I forgot, but congratulations to him. But that is a microcosm, and that's all you need to know for that kid to get a contract striking out those three guys. Not to say that's the reason why Dominican and the players that are currently major league ball players are going back to their respective teams. But that's all you need to know about how they performed here during this World Baseball Classic. But to get to last night, as Edwin Diaz, the closer of the Mets, who just got $102 million this offseason, how he got the last out by called strike on a 3-2 pitch, and how, I understand, they're going to celebrate. This is a World Cup atmosphere, as evidenced by the crowd. 36,000 plus, flags everywhere, buzzers, swistles, the horns, whatever you want to call it, and then during the celebration of them just advancing, it's not as if they won the World Baseball Classic or they won the semifinal game. They just advanced to now the quarterfinals. What happens during the ceremony? Edwin Diaz, who's going to get an MRI, but had to be carried off the field, put in a wheelchair that his own brother, who's on the team, was in tears, literally crying on the field. And now Diaz, based on the optics, looks like he's going to be out. I'm going to say off the top of my head, and I don't know this. This is just speculation, people. He's going to be out minimum half a season. Let's just hope it's a torn meniscus and he's going to be back sometime in May. And even then, which knee is it? I think it was his right knee, which that's his push-off knee on the rubber. Now, I don't know what's worse, the push-off knee or the plant foot when you're delivering a pitch. Either way, this was the last thing. Steve Cohen, Buck Showalter, the Met organization, and their entire fan base, including yours truly, had to watch. Because as we all know, October is based on two things. Timely hitting and pitching. Part of that pitching being a reliable, and in his case, a dominant closer. And if he's going to be out for any significant time this year, or worse, throughout the whole year, mark my words, March 16th, early this morning before 9 a.m., if he is not going to be part of this team at any point this year, meaning that he is not going to play any of the 162 and the postseason, the Mets will not make it to the World Series. They couldn't even make it out of the wild card round last year with Diaz. 
And without him, you can forget it. What more can I say? I, I am just absolutely perturbed, disgusted, appalled. But as I've said time after time after time, am I shocked? Should I be surprised? Should I look at this and say, huh, I can't believe this happened. Why us? Whatever. No. We're the Mets for a reason. As evidenced last night in an exhibition game, in a qualifying game, to where your closer could be done for the season. In the immortal words, you can't make it up. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation. Just having the chance to listen to me day in, day out, week in, week out, podcast in, podcast out. Your participation is never taken for granted. So therefore, one more time, I thank you. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. As I mentioned at the top, to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so. On YouTube, at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, Twitter, JReels1, just a number, the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or suggestions. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the JReels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to the production upkeep of the website, the equipment to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do people it's in the blood, it's in the DNA as I like to say sports is my passion I've been talking about this pretty much since birth and if you couldn't tell throughout, especially the last 15 minutes then I don't know, maybe I need to speak louder maybe I need to just shake the microphone, I don't know but One more time, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue to pump these out and I am planning to do big and better things in this universe with this platform to be up there with the likes of all the others that have made a name because I don't know what other podcasts out there in one hour are going to talk about all the things that I've discussed, not only in great detail, but with fire, passion, fury, energy with opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, thoughts, feelings on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.